as Steve said, I'm Andy, married to the lovely Sally here, and uh, Manu is beautifully, she's, she nailed it today, she's asleep in the buggy, so she's going to give a kiss. <coughs> My voice is a little bit um, crackly, uh, so I had a little episode just now, and uh, helped me out, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for the tissue. It's a nice, nice touch. <laughs> so... In a similar way to my voice being a bit crackly, anything could happen. I might go kind of backwards teenage years and my voice break again. <laughs> but we're living in turbulent times at the moment. Like my voice. So uh, six, six months ago-ish, uh, uh, we had Brexit and that came out of nowhere. And since then, it seems as though that uh, this turbulence has appeared in many different ways. So we've got nationalism rising in Europe. Uh, Merkel, who was amazing and she showed compassion to a whole lot of refugees, seems to now be paying for it and that she might then get ousted. We've got Putin and Russia who's um, making moves that, to test whether there's an appetite to block him for power. And then we've got potential of Trump coming in the States. The frightening thought. And so you'd be excused to, uh, to be worried, to be anxious. There's, there's loads of stuff going on that we can't control that is, yeah, it, it doesn't feel good. And on that really cheery note, I thought I'd read the passage. <laughs> so if you've got a Bible, um, actually, as a recap, for those of you who haven't been here before, we're looking at a series in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, really it's a sermon by Jesus, and it's, a number, it's, it's basically two, three chapters long. And so I'm just looking at a piece of it, um, and you'll pick up what the theme is as I read. So we're looking at Matthew 6, and follow, if you will, um, verse 25 to the end. So therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life, to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. But that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus, Jesus, as you picked up there, I mean, he's talking about worry and anxiety. He says, don't worry. He gives us a couple of examples. He says, well, look at the birds of the air. They don't, they don't try really hard. They don't spin, or they don't uh, labor. They don't reap and sow and store in barns that their Heavenly Father provides. And then similarly with flowers, he says, uh, they, they grow, but they don't labor and spin and work really hard to grow. It's God actually who lets them grow. And, and then he says, and you guys are much more precious than they. But for me, I mean, it's, it's very much application. It's a bit like saying to someone, I mean, say to someone, do not worry, or do not be anxious. It's quite hard to actually do anything about it. It's a bit like saying to someone who's depressed, cheer up, you'll be right. You might get smacked in the face, so I suggest you don't do that. But... It doesn't really help, and so what I think Jesus is saying is, he's, he's picking up on the symptoms of the problem. He's saying these are the symptoms, worry and anxiety, but the real problem, they actually help us diagnose it, they kind of help us move in that direction. So he gives us a couple of clues, and one of them is where he says, the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. 
So he's saying they seek after these things. They worry about uh, what we shall eat and what we shall drink and what we shall wear. And then the other clue is at the start. It says, therefore. I don't know if you noticed that. And a, a good South African friend of mine, he used to say during Bible study, he'd always be like, yeah, bro, what is the therefore? Therefore. And I've probably said, said that before. <laughs> I've probably said that before, but I mean, it is very simple, but it, it, it gives you a clue. And so with that in mind, we're going to look back at the previous few verses because they help understand and unpack what, what we're looking at. So looking at verse 19, um, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in the steel, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in the steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The lamp is the eye of the body. Sorry, the, lamp is, the eye is the lamp of the body. Even. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, I mean, it's pretty full on that, that many passages he talks about. But if he was to put it into a question, I think there would be, there'd be one question he'd ask. And I'm going to put it in a, phrase it in a number of different ways for different types of people. But it's really the same question as this. <clears throat> Where are you investing? What's your vision or your eyes fixed on? Where is your treasure? Who's your master? What are you seeking first? What are you trusting in? Who's your master? Who's your king? And Jesus, as we heard, gave us a couple of options. He talked about uh, the pagans, which just really means people don't follow Jesus. He said they follow after food and drink and clothing. And then he says, uh, he warns against following after earthly treasures. And then finally he warns against following after money. And the Bible talk, uses a word called an idol, which really means uh, something that we replace God with and we chase after. But you could replace, you could replace that, um, what he talks about, those three things, with any number of things, right? So in, uh, in London at the moment, I think career success and achievement would be a massive one. So when you meet people, one of the first things they'll ask you is, like, what have you done? It's almost, they're asking you, who are you? What have you done? What are your achievements? What do you do? Like that, as if that defines you. Another big one would be happiness or the pursuit thereof. So, so prevalent in our society, people will go, just do what makes you happy. In other words, screw everyone else, as long as you're happy, it's fine. And for me, that's the ultimate level of selfishness, really. It's like, just do what, do what you want to do. So other big ones, recognition, popularity, comfort, security, <coughs> status, relationship or relationships, and even religion. And what's interesting, I mean, I won't read through it, but if you look further up in this chapter, as I kind of mulled on it, I really was um, impacted by actually, Jesus introduces by this very thing. So he criticizes uh, the religious leaders of the day. These would be the equivalent of like the, the, most holy, um, the most holy kind of leader of a church. They were called the Pharisees and they taught people the law. <clears throat> but he criticizes them because he says, don't give, like, don't go and give in front of people. They, see, they were giving on the sort of, um, in the mid, it would be a, lot, a bit like me putting a few grand in the pot and just being like, you got that right there. And, and the reason they were doing it, is, it was for themselves. It was all about them. They weren't doing it for God. They weren't doing it because they wanted to give, even though giving is a good thing. Similarly, they were praying in front of people. So imagine I say a really elaborate, lovely prayer right in front of you. 
And you all go, oh, Andy, such a, such a holy guy, such great prayers. But really, it would all be about me and not about the prayer that I was praying. The same with fasting. He's like, he's criticizing them because he's saying, look, you guys are fasting and you're, you're looking all like tired and you're struggling. And the point is you're trying to get people to approve you or recognize you or, or say, well done, you're doing such a great job. So, so I, I find it interesting that even within there's an there's a application of religion in it, that you can chase after something um, through religion. And Jesus is like, no, 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 prayer is amazing, giving is great, fasting is amazing, but not for that reason. And so what's he getting at? All these things are just the manifest, multiple manifestations of the same thing. And they are simply this, it's seeking after your own kingdom. And you can do that through those multiple vehicles, they just serve yourself. And Jesus then talks about, in our passage, he talks about, well, what's the fruit of that kingdom? And he kind of, there's two big things. He, he cares about the fruit now, and he cares about the fruit kind of in the long run, in beyond life, as it were. So if you look, he says, uh, he says, if you do these things, like he talks about the pains, he's like, you will worry, and you will, you will kind of labor and, um, and spin and sow and reap and store. And you will look after yourself. You'll try and protect your own goods and protect against tomorrow. And that will be to the exclusion of others. And you'll be consumed by anxiety and worry. So those of you who know me, uh, who have known me for a few years, uh, about four years ago I quit my um, kind of full-time job and, and tried to build a start-up business. And it was called the, the Salon Book, and the idea was that it was um, basically TripAdvisor for hairdressers. It's all a good idea. It's been validated since. But what was interesting is what started out as a good, uh, I suppose, with some reasonable, um, what's the word I'm looking for, good motivation. It started with good motivation. I wanted to start this business and give money to charity uh, and see um, broken people supported by the earnings. It's fine. But what was interesting is there were those pieces we can control, but we had um, developers from all sorts of different places, <coughs> software developers. And over the course of three years, we went through three different sets of developers in eight, many different ways in which they mapped it up. But if you had spoken to, if you knew me during that time, you'd have seen that I became more and more and more anxious because actually what started out as a good thing had been twisted and I started to focus on it. It became everything I was going after. And there was part of me probably that because I wanted to do it for recognition and achievement and partly on the flip side, that as it started to go wrong, I couldn't control it. I was frightened of, well, what happens if I fail? What does that mean? What will people think of me? And, uh, and I kind of went down this road of trying to control things. And I mean, it's even amusing looking back how God, some of the funny things he put in the way. So one of the developers was from Canada, had moved to Thailand. And I had this bizarre scenario where his whole life was in a mess. And... Um, and he was trying to develop my app, and I was paying him for developing my app. And he was on, the, on Skype to me, weeping, uh, because his life was in a mess. And, I, and, and God was kind of like reminding me, he was like, it's not all about you, it's not all about, it's not all about the book, get over it. But at the time, I was like, ah, like, like, moved to compassion and praying for him and helping him. And then at the same time, I was like, oh, he's so annoying, he's making it all up. <laughs> and it, it was that whole... Uh, God, uh, in hindsight, I can see it, but he was deliberately reminding me, what's it all about? And, and I was trying to build my own kingdom, and it, and it can be through good things, like we saw with religion. And uh, one of the things that helped break me out that, interestingly, was I got really ill, and um, my, I ended up getting what's called a PUJ obstruction, which is basically a kidney issue. 
And some people live their whole lives with no issues, but I got really bad pain. It was so debilitating because I would, um, I would basically, Sal would come home like one day and I would be kind of on the floor in the fetal position just over a bucket being sick because the pain had got so bad. And the, they diagnosed it quickly in A&E, but what happened was I couldn't be operating on it until November, and this was in July. And so we had like months of uh, like in and out of A&E, and, and God was kind, in the end they ended up doing a kind of middle operation where they put a stent in that kind of helped relieve the pain until they could properly operate. But during that time, it just I suppose God spoke through it, which was to say, look, because it was debilitating, you can't control things, you can't control it. But more than that, he was like, you don't control things and you never have. And uh, in hindsight, like, I'm really grateful for that time because it set me free from, from the kind of fixation I had on the salon book. And on the other hand, my, at the same time, my dad was really ill. So he, he had, I suppose, um, he'd gone down a similar road to me. He's further on. And his business, there was an issue with his business, but he basically went down a spiral of um, anxiety where he couldn't control what was going to happen. He thought he was going to go to court for something that wasn't really his fault. And long story short, he ended up in the Priory and, uh, with a mental breakdown, and he was effectively suicidal. And in that time, he escaped from the, from the Priory. And there was one day particularly where we just got a knock on the door from the police, and they said, um, your dad's missing. And that was the first we'd heard about it. We didn't know he was missing before that. And in that time, the only thing we could do was pray. And it was amazing how in that situation, I felt God kind of put me in the point where I was like, actually, I can't, I can't control this. And, and I, I recognized that, and I, all we could do was pray. And I'll tell you the long story another time, but effectively a number of miracles happened, and um, my dad's ended up safe and well again, um, and he's in a good state of mind. But all that to say is that those things help, help reveal to me what I couldn't see. So Jesus says, do not lay up to yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And he's saying, look, you can't control everything. Don't try and focus on treasures here that won't last. And then he almost mocks it. He says, well, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your lifespan? And the answer is no one. I mean, what does worrying do? Nothing. So, so I, I suppose the other piece for that is enslavement. So... I kind of alluded to it at the salon book, but idols do that to us. They, they, what they do is they try and make a bid for your heart. They, wanna, they want you to love them, they want you to trust them, they want you to obey them. And so Jesus says that, he says, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And we want to go, no, no, we can love God and money, it's fine. But what are you about? They work together. And Jesus says, no, no, there's no middle ground. If you love money, you don't love them. It's pretty full on. And, and as I went through that, I saw that because this, this, what started as a good thing became the thing. It became enslaving. I couldn't escape. And um, as Tim Keller, a guy with a brain the size of the planet, he, uh, <laughs> he summarizes this quite well. He says, lovers of money are those who find themselves daydreaming and fantasizing about new ways to make money, new possessions to buy, and looking on, with jealousy uh, on those who have more than they do. Trusters of money feel they have control of their lives and are safe and secure because of their wealth. Idolatry also makes us servants of money, just as we serve earthly kings and magistrates. As we sell our souls to our idols, we look to them for significance or love, security, trust, and we must have them, and therefore we're driven to serve and essentially obey them. And Jesus uses a word for, the word that he uses to serve money, he uses that word as a solemn 
covenantal service, which you would normally render to a king. If you love money, you're a slave. And substitute what you will in the money, because it's, it's the same thing. We can be a slave to multiple things. And uh, I've been, recently I've been, I work for a large corporation, and I've kind of got a mini leadership position in it. But what you find when a large <laughs> corporate, they have so many layers of leadership, it just becomes ridiculous. So I work for the COO, who then works for the CEO of Europe, sorry, both of Europe. Then there's a Europe leadership team that reports into a global leadership team. Ridiculous. All that means is you often hear this phrase, oh, I can't make this decision, it's out of my pay grade. <laughs> um, and what, I, what, I, what I've been really struck by is that um, like if you're going to try and control your life, if you want to control those small things, the food and the clothing, then why don't you control your health too? Why don't, why don't we control that? Like, I control whether I was ill or not, but some of it. Why don't you control what everyone does for you, what they say, everyone who has an influence over you. So it could be your spouse or your or your children, it could be your boss or your friends. Why don't you control that? And while you're at it, why don't you take on the world powers to stop Trump getting in? The earth, the seasons, the sun, moon and stars. Sound like a good job spare? Any takers? And as I look out, I see lots of talented people, lots of leaders, lots of people with many skills. But let me just suggest it's uh, that a bit above your pay grade. And mine. <laughs> I mean, when you consider these things, it's crazy. And so often we're, we're pushed this worldview in London and the West that is go and like go and make yourself, go and make your life. And the reality is, you only control a very small number of things. You didn't control where you were born, even. So, I mean, so I suppose in that context, I I could. Like with my boss, I could write CEO at the bottom of my email signature. I could walk in and go, guys, don't worry. I've made the decision. As CEO, we're going to do this. Best case scenario, they'd find it quite funny. <laughs> Worst case, I probably wouldn't even have the job I have. But the reality is it wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't be CEO. No one would listen to me. And so there's no point in us pretending we're God. So, that, so Jesus talked about the fruit in this life. He's talked about that actually if you follow those things, you will end up enslaved to them and you will worry and will lead to anxiety. They're not good things. So actually, he's trying to warn us against that. And then secondly, he talks about <coughs> eternally, what does that mean? Um, and he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see that in verse 25. It's just, th this is his clue. And what he's, he's crying out, he's saying, look, life's fragile, but there's so much more than the material. There's so much more than the physical. This is the spiritual we're living in. He's like, you've got a soul. Stop being so short-term. You can almost... I was hearing, and uh, a friend of mine, he, uh, he said, when we talk about faith, he says, look, I don't need God, I don't need hope, I just need gods, and on the one hand, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, like, he's like, I just need gods, and I'm going, and on the other hand, it makes me really sad, it frightens me when he says that, because there's that arrogance that we have here, that we're going to go and make life, and actually, like, we don't know when the end will come, we don't know when our last day will be, and we actually don't know when Jesus will return. And funnily, that, you know, it talks about do not store up and, and then you don't know when thieves will break in and steal. Similarly, in Thessalonians, Paul says, look, we don't know when the Lord Jesus will return. We don't know when the world will end. But it will come like a thief in the night. And it's that same, same like, illustration. And uh, before we, I'm not going to sort of go down a scaremongering route, but I suppose it's just, it's just that perspective when he says that. Frankly, Jesus is like, look, don't get stuck on the things that are of now. Think about what is um, longer term. 
And where he goes, as he says in, just before, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And what he's saying is, you, you either serve the one or the other. And really, what he says in the, he says in the next chapter, if you follow on, he says, uh, he says, enter through the narrow gate, for the wide gate is the gate, sorry, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. The small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now the reason the gate is wide that leads to destruction is because there's so many kingdoms. He's like, you can, you can go in many different directions, you can worship all these different gods, but don't, because they don't end well, they lead to destruction. He says, narrow is the gate that leads to life. You see, Jesus says, I am the gate. Not me, Andy, obviously, Jesus. <coughs> Jesus says, he is the gate. And he's saying, look, if you're building another kingdom, that one day that kingdom will meet with the king of kings and his kingdom, and that kingdom won't stand, his kingdom will last. And, and before we, we think Jesus is harsh, let me tell you that I think he tells us the truth, not in spite of his love, but because he loves us. So imagine you're about to pour all your life savings into this venture, or a cause you believe in. Now imagine you went and asked someone for advice. And that person, it just happened that they knew exactly what was going to, the outcome was going to be. They knew where it would go and they knew it would be a complete waste of time. Now let me ask you, would you want them to tell you, oh it's fine, just carry on, knowing full well that it would go wrong, or would you want them to tell you the truth? See, I would want them to tell me the truth. Even though it would be hard, I'd want them to tell me the truth. And Jesus says that there. He says, don't waste your life. It's, more, it's worth more than food, and the body more than clothing. And, what, and what's the alternative? Well, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And let's just look at that bit. See, Jesus says, he cares about your life and he cares about your future. Choose a narrow gate, choose life, choose him, for he's the true king. And for those of you who don't know Jesus or are exploring us, this is really the key bit, because... Now we're going to look at, well, what's his kingdom? What, what is it that he says? And, and how do you do that? How do you seek first his kingdom? And he's talked a lot about the symptoms, but he's given us the solution. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And righteousness, when we say that, is quite a complicated word. All it means is being morally right or um, pure. It's like perfection in, in kind of moral terms. And... Uh, and Jesus said, all that means, right, is he's saying, stop going your way, stop seeking your own kingdom, whatever it looks like, come and seek mine. And the Bible uses repentance, it's turning away and turning to him. And what happens when that takes place? Well, there's a beautiful exchange, and it's part of the upside-down kingdom that we are talking about. And what happens is Jesus takes, he takes our sin and rebellion, he takes our enslavement, he takes our worries, he takes our anxiety, he takes our pain, he takes all the things that have been, people have done to us, and... He takes that and, and, uh, on himself, and then instead he gives you his, his kingdom and his righteousness. So he makes you morally pure and perfect in God's eyes. And you, he gives you his kingdom, and that's not all. Most of all, he gives you himself. And I just want to look at that in a, few, in a few different lenses of who he is. See, he gives you himself as God, and so you're set free from trying to be in control. You don't have to be God, because he's in control, and he gives you assurance for tomorrow. He gives you himself as provider. So like those birds that we read about, they don't, they don't labor and spin. Sorry, I keep talking about the flowers. The birds, they don't um, toil and, and labor and, and store up in barns. Creation gets it. Creation understands. They don't have to do that because their Heavenly Father will provide. Mm -hmm. By the way, it doesn't mean like being lazy. 
It just means that they didn't try and play God. And the same with the, the, with the flowers. They don't spin and, and try and grow because actually they know it's not going to work. It's God who gives them the soil and the rains and provides. So he, he gives himself to us as a provider. So we, we actually, we're set free from worry and anxiety. We don't have to worry about it because he knows who, what we need. He tells us that the whole way through this chapter, in fact. He says, your heavenly Father will provide. He knows what you need before you ask. He gives himself to us as King and Lord. He gives us himself as Saviour. So he saves us from, from uh, our slavery and from our sin. And it says that he pays the price for that. And then in, in so doing, he, instead of us being enemies, he reconciles us to be his children. So he gives us to himself as a father, so we can be sons and daughters. And a bit like Manu, Manu completely trusts us. She doesn't come home and go, hi daddy, did you remember to send off, did you remember to uh, invoice your client so you can get paid, so I can get chocolate cake, and then you can get me a Christmas present? No. I mean, apart from the fact she can't actually talk. <laughs> It's a small issue. She'd say, dad, dad, dad. But no, that's the great beauty about children. They just trust you. They trust you as parents to provide. And that's, that's what Jesus gives us. He says, I will do that. And instead, he tells us to seek first his kingdom. And to trust him. So, for those of us who, who already know, what it, or what, so who are already following Jesus, kind of want to think a little bit about what it means to, to cultivate a life of Seeking first his kingdom. And to do that, I've got a few different... Uh, I want to read about three different people. Um, and if we've got time, I'll talk about a bit of application. But these people, I think, help give us examples of what that looks like. And it's funny, because Sally and I have been on a journey of thinking about this uh, for ourselves. Thinking about, well, what does it look like to seek first his kingdom? And the first person, I think, has really challenged me most is Paul in the Bible. Because something that's been going on in my head that God's been speaking about is you never hear about Paul's tent-making <coughs> Never. Apart from the fact he had one, that's it. And what, that stri what strikes me about that is that he wasn't focused on it. He wasn't consumed with th thoughts about how he could grow it or how he could get more subscriptions to it or how he could turn it into minutes. Like, it's, uh, he just didn't care about it. He was, all he cared about was pursuing God. And you know what? He had a tent making business. God gave him enough for each day and that was what he needed. So let's, let's listen to a bit about um, how Paul... Let's sort first the kingdom of God. So in Timothy he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but to also those, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So he's got that complete, that focus on Jesus. He's looking forward to the day he will see him, and he's completely bent on serving him. All his life is, is that. And he does it joyfully. Because he does so because he wouldn't be able to um, endure what comes next. So in Corinthians he talks about he's received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with stones. Three times shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in open sea. Etc. etc. I won't, I won't go on. But when you read that you're like either he was crazy or he was completely convinced that it was worth serving his king and that he, he left himself at the door. So similarly, similarly C.T. Stubbs, a person I've been reading about recently, so he was a, a missionary in the late 1900s. And funny enough, he was seriously uh, privileged. He went to Eton. He was one of the greatest cricketers who ever has played for England. 
he, he smashed the Aussies, which was nice to see. But he gave it all up. And um, when you read about some of the things he says, it's amazing. Uh, you'll notice, those of you with big eyes, you'll notice it's actually bog roll this morning. <laughs> Doesn't mean I was we reading on the toilet. Just to show you. I got a cold and I was playing on this. Not with these ones. He says, he's writing to his brother, and he wrote some letters in China in the moment. He says, I do not say don't play games or cricket and so forth. By all means, by all means, play and enjoy them. Give thanks to Jesus for them. Only take care that games do not become an idol to you as they did to me. What good will it be to anybody in the next world as to have the best player that has ever been? And then think of the difference between that and winning souls for Jesus. Oh, if I had never tasted the joy of leading one soul to Jesus, go and ask the Father to enable you to do so. And then you will know what real, true joy is. The time is so short, such a little time to rescue souls from hell, but there will be no rescue work in heaven. I have written earnestly because I know the joy there is in Jesus and because I well know the innumerable temptations you are exposed to in your private school life. So he writes to him there, and then you kind of get a, a taste of what they're up to. I mean, it's crazy. He's just his dad's just given him his, his inheritance, and it was about twenty-five thousand, which then must have been a huge amount. And uh, he writes a letter to, I think it's General William Booth, who some of you all know is the kind of leader was the leader of the Salvation Army. He started that off, an amazing guy himself. And he, he writes about this this um, inheritance. He says, uh, I'll, I'll just zoom to the bit. He said, besides, um, besides this, I'm instructing our bankers, Messrs. Coots & Co., to sell our last earthly investment of £1,400. He's already given away the rest. Uh, and send them what they realise to you. Henceforth, our bankers in heaven. You see, we're rather afraid, notwithstanding the great earthly safety of Messrs. Coots & Co., the Bank of England. We are, I say, rather afraid. I'm trying to put on his uh, probably quite posh thing to say. Rather afraid that they may both break on the judgment day. And so, like, he's, he's completely, he's like, we're just trusting in the bank of heaven. Forget about it. Like, unbelievable. And what he, he says later is he gives the rest of his money to his wife, because he's like, he talks about how he, as a husband, you're to provide. And then she goes, oh no, we're told to give it away. She gives a whole lot away. So then they have zero. And then, uh, so then I'm just going to read you a little bit about um, William Booth. And so William Booth, at the same time, was in um, India. So he writes to him from India. So William Booth is being a missionary in India. Um, C.T. Stubb was in China. And it just gives you an amazing picture of the church in, in India that they built. It says, Our party have no salaries, get no money, and having food and raiment, they learn to be therewith content. Not grumbling or arguing. Both lads and lasses go barefoot for preference. For meals they have rice water in the morning, rice and vegetable curries. No meat at midday, and the same in the evening. The use of tea and coffee is quite given up as being too European. The floor of the court is being well raised and dug. We have abolished beds. There are no chairs or tables in the camp. I and myself am sitting squatted on the mat with my papers round me on the floor. Nevertheless, we really are very comfortable and as happy as possible. Most beautiful of all has been the spirit of unity, love, and devotion and sacrifice which has animated them all from the first. We have constant victory, and God is showing us how to manage and train these officers and manufacturing them into real natives. Remember that mere soul-saving is comparatively easy work and is not nearly so important as that of manufacturing the saved, saved ones into saints, soldiers, and saviors. You can tell he's a Salvation Army. He kind of uses that 
army kind of language. It's a beautiful picture of contentment. They, they've given everything up. They're living in poverty. And it's because they're completely seeking God's kingdom. They re recognize what Jesus said, that actually like, there's so much more to life than the physical. That actually it's about the soul and beyond. They're longing to see souls saved. And actually he talks about the joy they get from doing that. The contentment as they work together and through a relative adversity and difficulty. And the last person is Bonhoeffer. I won't read about him, but all I need to say is, again, he's one of the best theologians that ever lived. In the middle of uh, the war, he stood up to Hitler and basically said on public radio, Hitler, you're an idol. The Fuhrer is an idol, and you're standing in the way of God. He was put in prison. And so the Americans saved him and took him back to the States, but he returned to Germany. And he returned out of choice because he said, if I'm to take any part in restoring the church in Germany... I must be there with my people while they suffer. So this guy, he, he could have saved himself, he could have uh, been his, his great theologian, but actually he said, no, 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 no I'm going to go and be with my people and serve my king as a servant. So just as we finish, how do we seek first the kingdom? I think it's remembering, remembering his grace. When you remember daily how kind God has been to you, when we were once enemies and he's brought us close, that grace is not all we deserve, and yet he lavished it on us. And Karen talked to us about loving your enemies last week. Well, Jesus showed us that ultimate example that he laid down his life for you and me when we had spent our life rejecting him. So remember, remember, remember he loves you. He's told us this, that the Heavenly Father loves us more than the birds of the, um, the air and the flowers. That he knows what we need before we ask him. And respond. Respond by obeying. Um, you're set free to obey. It's not an obedience to try and earn his favour. It's an obedience because you know what he's done for you. And it's so different. So you respond. He says, do not be anxious. He says it three times. And he says, but seek first the kingdom. So you have, you have an alternative. You can be consumed with God's kingdom instead.